Are you a Christian who wants to go deeper into the roots of your faith? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. This is a podcast for Christians who want to understand the Jewishness of Jesus and his word. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. I'm also an author and a Bible teacher. In this podcast, we will stretch and maybe even challenge you to look at Scripture from a Hebraic point of view. We want to help you understand Scripture through the lens of the Hebrew language, culture, and history. Thank you for joining us. Today, our guest is Miriam Feinberg Vamos. Miriam was born in New Jersey, but she has lived in Israel since 1970. She has her master's in archaeology and heritage. She is a author of both fiction and nonfiction. Miriam has been a tour educator and a translator, but a tour educator for Christian groups in Israel. And you did that for many, many years. Mm-hmm. About 40 years, I'd say, full time. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate thank you for having all of that you're going to share because we talked one other time and I was just blown away trying to keep up with all the things that you have experienced over the last 40 years, but also that you have to offer that you've learned. Um, it goes both ways for you, right? You've learned and you've That's taught. That's right. right. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. One of the interesting things when you and I first had a conversation is you asked me what I liked about Israel. What are the things I remembered about Israel? And I think one of the first things I mentioned was the Temple Mount and those stairs and how we were taught, we were told when I was there, I was in Israel in 2017. And I was told at that time they were blocked off and you couldn't walk on them because people were taking some of those stones that led up to the temple mount. We could only watch them, but these were the steps that Jesus would have walked up. And that's why they meant so much to different people mm-hmm. and people wanted a, you know, a symbol of that. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I should mention that taking stones, I'm not surprised to hear that because taking stones is a very, very old tradition uh, of pilgrims. Okay. Uh, there's even a, a stone from the Holy Land under the throne of the Queen of England. <laughs> oh, really? From, from way back when. And, uh, you know, there are relics that are stones all right. over Europe and all over the world from the Holy Land. So I'm not surprised to hear that. Wow. Yes, it was pretty interesting. I guess apparently, according to the story, is that they caught him at the airport. And so they uh, <laughs> they were trying to take these huge stones with them on, on the plane and the airport stopped. <laughs> Overweight. Overweight. What do you have in there, stones? <laughs> they, were, they were pretty heavy, I guess. So, But you told me an interesting uh, little tidbit there about the Psalms of Ascension, or the Psalm, I should say, singular, of Ascension. Mm-hmm. And you said that whenever mm-hmm. you led the tour that you would sing it or that you would explain it so can you can you tell Mm -hmm. us more about that yes i'd love to uh these uh the psalms you're right to say it in the plural because uh it's psalms 120 to 134 they're called the psalms of ascent or the psalms of ascension and they're even the the uh, literal literal translation is the psalms of the steps 
because people would actually sing them as they walked up the, the steps to one of the entrances to the temple. And these steps were discovered by Israeli archaeologists after the 1967 war. And uh, when Jerusalem uh, was taken by, when East Jerusalem became a part of Israel. What I used to love to do, I would show the people how the steps are built so that it's one short step and one, I'm talking about horizontally, one short step, one long step, short, long, Mm. short, long. That had people walk up it slowly. You can't run up those stairs, even if you try. And so uh, as they walked, they would sing the Psalms. And there is a particular Psalm, which is Psalm 126. That's uh, a song of ascent. And uh, the the words go in English, uh, when the Lord brought us back to Zion, we were as dreamers. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with song. And then they said among the people, God is great. And it goes on, God has done great things with this people. And uh, everyone, I think, will hear something similar in that, even though I've just paraphrased it. Return us, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sowed in sorrow will reap in joy, uh, etc. So this is a song that we sing. Um, it's one of the psalms that we sing after a Sabbath dinner. And therefore, I know a tune for it. And I would like to imagine that it's the same tune that we're, they were singing 2,000 years ago. Who knows? But uh, we can make up our own tradition. So I'll sing a little bit of, of it for you. And what I used to do is sing it as I walked up the stairs. So people who have been there, people can look at a picture and imagine. Shir Adonai that's the first verse. And when I would finish that first verse, I would usually happen to be that I got up to the top of the steps. Uh, then there's a second verse, and I would turn around and sing that for everybody, too. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, because I think it's so, I mean, and we've talked about for people who haven't been there, but to imagine just walking up and hearing Jesus and his disciples and, and all the other Jewish people in the area just singing that Absolutely. at different times. A stream of people. Um, they went in. Is it okay if I go on with this? Do we yes. have time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they went in one door and came out the other. There used to be two sets of double doors. And there's something else I wanted to share with you about this, and you can decide according to time. Um, why did they go in one door and out the other? Uh, this is in the Talmud, in the commentary uh, on the Bible that the rabbis wrote after the destruction of the temple when they wanted to give us a sense of community when we no longer had the possibility to go up to the temple. And that was no longer our center. Uh, so one of the things they said, what, because you have to think about how all people were coming from all over the world. Not everybody knew the same language. And if they, the, the, this Talmud says that people would go in the right one side, I'm not going to say which one it was, because I'm not sure, and out the other. But if you were in mourning, if you had lost a loved one, 
you would go in the other way against the crowd. Mm. And when people would see you coming the other way, they would say, he who comforts mourners, may he comfort you among the mourners of Zion. Amen. Mm. Uh, if somebody came at you, you would greet them that way because that was the sign that they were in mourning if they came at you in the gate the wrong way. And that's still the last words that are said at any Jewish funeral anywhere in the world. May he who comforts mourners comfort you among the mourners of Zion. Oh, that's so sweet. That's amazing. There's so many traditions within Judaism. And, and of course, when we read the Bible, we see a lot of those, but we don't see them all by any means. I mean, little things like that, we have no idea how all of that ties together. Because when we read the Psalms, we read them just mm -hmm. as a book of the Bible, mm -hmm. but they sang these songs, they sang them on a daily basis. And yeah. when I learned about Shabbat, there were certain Psalms that they sang, like you mentioned on Shabbat. And mm -hmm. then they had mm -hmm. a whole tradition mm -hmm. of what they did on Shabbat, including reading of, of, um, I think the mm -hmm. husband reads Psalm 31. Yeah or recites it, or sings it to his uh, wife, maybe? Yeah. Proverbs. Proverbs, Proverbs, sorry. 31. Yes, I knew. Proverbs 31. Woman of valor, a woman of valor. You got 31, which I would never have gotten. <laughs> well, I was thinking Psalms, not Proverbs, so that's why right. Psalms was still in my head. Yeah. But it's such a beautiful tradition, and how um, they sang, my point was, is that they sang exactly. these, not yeah. just read them like we do. And you talked about another tradition, yeah. speaking of a memorial service or a mourning, mm -hmm. um, that you would recite the Psalms. Right. If there's a memorial service at the gravesite, usually, you will, you will choose Psalms, the first word, the first letter of the first word of which would spell out the name of the deceased. Does that make sense? Did yes. I explain it well? Mm -hmm. You know, anybody can figure that out looking at the, looking at the Psalms. So you would choose those ahead of time. So you have four or five Psalms that you read, which is the name of the deceased. Hebrew names are a lot shorter than English names because they, there are no vowels in Hebrew. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's three or four or five Psalms. And then, um, you would say them, you would prepare them ahead of time and you would say them at the grave. Also, uh, you can do that, or, or the tradition is to do it if you go to, say, the tomb of King David or the tomb of a very revered rabbi that you might uh, have a special relationship with, and you'd say those psalms in memory of somebody at that time. Mm. Uh, so it could be any time. That's very interesting. It's very beautiful. I think it would probably mean a lot. I wanted to add that um, it's almost like by, but in a spiritual way, you see that the Psalms that symbolize the person's, the first letter of the person's name, they're very comforting. Whatever is in the content of them will remind you of the person, mm. give you special comfort. That's true. Yes, I can see how that would happen. That's beautiful. The other thing is, uh, you did mention already, or we just hit on it, but at the Last Supper, they would sing psalms, and and I guess they would eat, 
at the Passover meal, essentially, you sing or you sing every year, you sing mm-hmm. certain psalms. And these are the same mm-hmm. ones that sure. Jesus and his disciples would have probably sung at the Last Supper. That's right. We don't know which ones they chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. It's probably somewhere in the Talmud because it's an amazing collection of, by the way, you know, as they would be discussing this really deep thing. They would say, and by the way, in at Shabbat dinner, I'm just making this up right now, but just give you an idea how they do. You, you, if you want to add a psalm to the ones we already say, like A, B, C, whatever they might say, you could add. Mm-hmm. So that could be that we know. I don't know particularly, but it does say they all sang a hymn. Mm-hmm. I think in most translations, uh, but that means a, a psalm. And it, that would be, there would be special because the Passover Seder is long and you do part of it before you eat and part of it after you eat. Um, in my family, we usually don't get to the, to the second part, uh, but then uh, that would be certain songs that they sang. Okay. Uh, and uh, in our tradition, we usually say something very short before the meal and most of the blessings and everything, the, the Sabbath songs that are set after the meal with singing and fellowship. So that's what they we can imagine them doing. Mm-hmm. Because I've even read that, um, like for us, we pray over our food at the beginning yeah. before we eat it. But it's a very yeah. Jewish thing to pray and thank God after you've eaten. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's you true. you thank him for the food that you just had. That's right. That's right, but there is a blessing, and I now you'll have to help me with this. But uh, Jesus said, Jesus said the blessing when he talked about the blessing over the bread. Mm-hmm. Oh, he broke the bread and blessed it and gave it to the crowd. Yes, but the blessing over it. I think that's what we have to say, and we know exactly what he said because we say the same thing to this day. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe who brings forth bread from the earth. Hmm. So we know for a fact that, that that's what he said. That's because he blessed. And you had a very similar one for the wine before you drank it. Yeah, that's right. Could you share that one? Because I can never yeah. remember all the words. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. That's so all. That's, yeah, very short and sweet, but... Um, but they said them every single time they took right. a cup mm-hmm. to drink or um, bread to eat. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, that when we were talking about, you know, there's there's different places where things could have happened. And one of the best examples is the um, garden tomb that, you know, that's one, like they, you might say when mm-hmm. you're doing it, one of three places or, um, and you do the best that you can. I mean, I, I think I even brought mm-hmm. up that, right. you know, all the churches that are there from different congregations in different countries. And I said, that was my only yeah. kind of like, mm-hmm. for me, like a stumbling block. It's like, why is there a church here? But, but you brought up that if it hadn't been for those churches that we wouldn't know. Those, those places would not have been protected mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Be, we would not be able to go and see them today. Those places and the traditions that are associated with them. Right. Wherever we tell them, wherever we tell the tradition, I was telling you that sometimes traditions develop because they could no longer reach the original place. 
mm-hmm. uh, where it did happen. And I, I mentioned that in the Galilee, you know, you say then he crossed over, but but in your pilgrimage, well, we didn't cross over. We just drove ten minutes, and I don't understand what about that. And it's just because, uh, not just, but it's because there were times when it was too dangerous to go all the way to the place. And I suggested that uh, there could have been a place where people said, uh, "Okay, uh, we want to go over there and commemorate the feeding of the five thousand. But Everybody else said, oh, I don't know. I don't want to go over there. I think it's dangerous. And then they said, in my imagination, okay, well then, let's just read the story here and think about the miracle and pray over it. We'll do it here. And before you knew it, here was there. Mm-hmm. And that's how tradition sometimes developed. Right. I say according to tradition, and we don't get all tied up in knots about it. Uh, the main thing is to remember what happened. And to get the sense of where, what it looked like, which is why the Garden Tomb is so meaningful for people. Because no church was built there, unlike the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which may well be the original place. But we we wouldn't know it, and it's so far into the tradition of Protestants uh, to go to a place where there's incense and uh, priests making the rounds and processions and all these kinds of things. It's so foreign that we get all tied up about it and say, Ugh! and we we should just, uh, and that's why in the 19th century, uh, they came across, literally, uh, the, the scholars of those days, uh, the Protestants who came to Jerusalem, inspired by, by the, the Bible stories, they saw that site that looked like a skull, which it still does, that's what you saw. Uh, it looked like a skull, and next to it was a garden, and they found a tomb when they excavated. That was, for them, that did it. And that day to this, Protestants mm-hmm. have seen the garden tomb as the place, but certainly it's a place where it's easy to commemorate the events. Right. It is. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I remember mm-hmm. being there, and, and for us, we, we took communion. So it was a very... Uh, you know, a place that we meditated, we sat and just thought about what happened here. And, and Mm -hmm. there's even a a very, very large stone that you could Mm -hmm. tell that may have been rolled away, rolled in front of that at Mm -hmm. one place. That's right. And in fact, they, they talk about it in the story of the resurrection, that when Mary came down to the tomb, she found, uh, or the Mary and the women, they found the stone rolled away. Mm -hmm. You can see that rolling, a rolling stone there, and because people don't get uh, what that might mean. And how large it was. Right. And we have a, an expression in modern Hebrew, this is thought thing, but I should say it, that uh, when we want to say that is over and done with, uh, we say the stone has closed it over. Mm. The rolling stone has closed it over. Okay. And after we're done with this uh, podcast, I'm going to ask my husband, if he knows what, what that comes from. If I'm going to ask him in Hebrew if he knows what it comes from. It's if he knows it comes from the idea of the rolling stone over the tree. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So the other thing I was thinking of is we were when we were talking about where Jesus awaited trial. And that, and now, of course, it is a church. But it was a place that um, right now there's like a plexiglass over the hole that looks down into it. And then there's a spiral staircase that takes you down. And you said that yes. that was the church of the cock crows, right? 
And that was... It's got a long Latin, a long Latin name, Peter in Gallicancio. Okay. And uh, people often see it that way on their itinerary, so I... And that was very moving because when you're, you know, we were allowed to go down in there and just seeing, you know, at least from what I can remember, because you see so much when you're in Israel <laughs> that it is hard to say where I saw this and where I saw yeah, that. But, but that was pretty a, a moving experience because they did, there were remnants of like some chains and some bars there where people may have been chained up on the walls and I remember even someone saying like you know this there were stains on the walls and so um which of course could I want to share with you something uh that okay there was a time when we went to that church and they wouldn't let us guide they would only let local priests or nuns or whoever they were guide and they would say a huge story uh, they would tell about how Jesus was held up, his hands were held up, and he was whipped. He was scourged there. And uh, in fact, that was, and that we now recognize as a one of the many anti-Semitic stories that are told to make the mm-hmm. Jews look even worse than they were. Mm-hmm. In my personal opinion, it was bad enough that they turned him over to the Romans. Uh, if we look at all the history, we can see why they did it. Uh, but let's say they did, that's bad enough. But it was the Romans that scourged him, not the Jews. Right, exactly. I, do, I did hear that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's biblical. So when they tell that story, uh, and you said there were no chains, but there's okay. such a strong memory the way they told the story that you can you picture the chains and you picture Jesus up there. Whatever they did to him was bad enough, whatever the Jews did. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we can talk about, we can have a whole lesson on why they turned him over to the Romans, what was happening in Jerusalem that made them decide to do that. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's something about that church uh, that for me, it's actually kind of creepy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I understand that no and you're right because throughout history certain faiths wanted to blame the jewish people and while you know whatever part they had in it i mean when you read the new testament you you see but they did turn them over to rome and rome were the violent people and i, I don't think it was in the priest to do that or the high priest even to do but those to go back things. to the site as the possible site um in fact when they did excavations there in the when they overall they found several elements of that site that lead people to think that it was the house of the high priest and it was the right place in Jerusalem and there were it was certainly a wealthy home there was a big in the 70s or the 80s they discovered a big ritual bath right there next to it and they also found eventually they lost but they have a picture of it an inscription that that mentions the word sacrifice. And they also found a full set of weights and measures, which meant because of infractions of weights and measures was a religious offense. And so if somebody had a problem, they'd come to the high priest's house and the high priest, let's say, would use those weights and measures to see who was right on in that. So all those things lead us to believe that that might have been the place. And another thing that you saw were the steps, um, which I mentioned to you the last time, you, you didn't remember, but afterwards I think you did, 
outside, there are steps that go down, that go up, let's say, for our geography, uh, from the Kidron Valley and the Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, up Mount Zion. So when we do the geography of what happened on the n- night after the Last Supper, Jesus goes down across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he spends the night. There he's arrested by the soldiers of the high priest and then comes back up the steps into the city. And if that's the place, according to the New Testament, that was where the house of the high priest was, where the Sanhedrin uh, met and judged him uh, to be worthy of death, but not being allowed to carry out the sentence. They sent him to the Romans. Another thing we can talk about another time, but the Romans didn't care how many Jews the Jews killed. No, they didn't. So obviously there was some disagreement there is what I want to say. Yeah, and I think that is really good for this podcast because within this podcast, I do talk a lot about anti-Semitism. And and I want people to understand that a lot of our, I don't want to say Jewish roots because that's the Mm -hmm. wrong word, but a lot of the roots of Christianity have come from a parting of the ways, like saying, no, we're not going to associate ourselves Mm -hmm. with those Jewish people anymore. Um, They killed our Mm -hmm. savior. They did this, they did that. They're evil. Mm -hmm. And, and that was wrong. I mean, it's, it was not the way God wanted it. He wanted us to Mm -hmm. be one. He wanted us to worship together and and all those things. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. as far as our, our faith is concerned, we were to be one with Israel. We were to. We have to go back to that and we have to look at those stories with a critical eye. For example, the this is now treading uh, uh, fragile ground because the, uh, the the gospel does say they all judged him worthy to, for death. Mm-hmm. To, or, you know, I'm paraphrasing. But hmm, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Right. He judged him worthy of death. And uh, another, there was another, I can't remember the name now, but another member of the Sanhedrin who was also a believer. Mm -hmm. Exactly, Nicodemus. So they obviously weren't there. Right. And I have (laughs) read that where it was a secret meeting where they left some people out of it who might sympathize. Um, They could not have, if a Sanhedrin judged somebody, they gave, gave out a death sentence. It was a very rare occasion, and this is from the Talmud, the Sanhedrin, uh, a Sanhedrin that did that was called a hanging Sanhedrin. Mm. It's like, not hanging because they didn't hang, but it's like a hanging judge. Mm-hmm. You know, you have that hanging over you forever, no pun intended. Okay. So, and, and it had to be, um, it had to be uh, unanimous. Okay. So somehow that got it to a place where what you said that the anti-Semitism is one of the, the big the big places where we part ways in terms of what may or may not have happened. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to our history on both sides, you know. A lot to unpack, as they like to say nowadays. Uh-huh. Um so let's move on because uh, sorry this is all good. That. No, no, no. It's all good. I I enjoy tangents and so don't be oh, good. Don't, okay. don't feel badly about that. But I want to go to Bethesda because yes. they uncovered yeah. different pool, or mm-hmm. at least, at least if I remember, yeah. there was at least one pool there. But they yes. call it the Sheep's Gate, right? The Sheep, right? The Sheep's Gate mm-hmm. and the Sheep's Pool, right. or the Sheep Pool. 
Yeah, because that was where they washed the sheep before they took them up across the street from the pools of Bethesda, which was a reservoir, drinking reservoir. Uh, across the street was a pool, which we know, in fact, was there before they covered it with mm-hmm. a parking lot, uh, where they washed the sheep before they took them up to the Temple Mount. It's right across from, really across from the Temple Mount. And uh, it's called the Pools of Bethesda because there were two pools, five porches, pools of five porches because there were porches around them, like porticos is what they mean, shade. And uh, the, the way that uh, we brought it up was uh, in our last talk was because uh, this is where Jesus healed a paralytic. And according to the story, there was an angel that came at certain times when people were at the site, at the steps leading down to the pool. And an angel came and according to uh, according to the gospel, the scripture says the angel came and troubled the water. And then that would be the time to go down if you were if you were sick uh, or disabled, and you would be cured, healed. And this one disabled person could never make it down there in time. And Jesus came and healed him, said, pick up your bed and walk. So the point of us discussing that was the fact that Jesus right. uh, did something that most other Jews of his time would not have done, which is to go into a pagan place. And uh, this just, I went and got ahead of myself a little bit. That was the, the tradition was a pagan tradition. We don't have anything that we hear about in the Talmud, which, as I said, talks about every little thing ever. We don't have anything about any angels coming and troubling any water as a means of healing. We have a laying on of hands as a means of healing, but not that. And so it's, and when they did the excavations in the 19th century, they found a pagan mm-hmm. place of healing. They found a pagan temple to Asclepius, the god of healing. And they found like these little effigies, they call them, like a little liver or a little foot or a hand, like they do at Lourdes in France, where they have, they leave there an effigy of whatever got healed, where they came back later, I guess, or whatever okay. they did. They know exactly what they did. So here's one time and it's not the only place there's two times that are mentioned uh, that jesus goes that are mentioned that jesus goes into a pagan place the other place is caesarea philippi uh, right where you visited and that was also a pagan place where they sacrificed goats that's right to the pan the, the god pan the half goat half man uh, god and jesus went there that's where he chose peter uh, to lead the church, Caesarea Philippi, which was a pagan site, and its nickname, I guess, maybe nickname yes, is the wrong. The gates, the gates of hell, because Jesus said, even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And people have said over the years, well, Jews would have considered this an impure place uh, where there was a thing where you you sacrifice the goat and you throw it into the cave, and there was water in there. And the water would flow underground and come out. And uh, if the blood of the goat came out, then, or if it didn't, one, one or the other, I can never remember which, then your uh, sacrifice was good, and whatever you sacrificed for would be would be would come true. That was the pagan thing. So the Jews would have considered that the most impure thing possible on every possible level. 
And they would have perhaps called that the gates of hell, which might be why Jesus uh, mentioned that particular phrase in conjunction with Peter and the rock, you are the rock uh, on which I'll build my church and Caesarea Philippi, which is a cliff now that we could go and see it. Right. And it was so, so interesting understanding that because it puts a place, you know, yeah. that you can see and imagining that Jesus and Peter having this conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and then knowing that they called it the gates of hell because mm-hmm. it was a place of pagan worship. And mm-hmm. I get something different out of that than when I simply read it in the scriptures, because then to me, what is he saying? Mm-hmm. Is he saying that the gates of hell won't be able to destroy it or, but he's saying, I think in my mind, then it becomes more like the pagan worship won't be able to destroy yes. what he is starting, yes. what he's not starting, Very, the word, but yes, which is exactly that Christianity uh, wiped out the pagans. Mm-hmm. Well, some people would disagree. <laughs> But uh, tr- mm-hmm. truly, Christianity took over. And every place, this is ironic too, that every place that there was a pagan temple, pagan temples were built on all the Jewish sites and mm-hmm. all the Christian sites. And so when the Christians came to build their churches, they knew where to build. One of the ways they knew was the efforts of the pagans to wipe them out was to build a temple over the site. Happened in Bethlehem, happened in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, on the Mount of Olives, I think. And several other places. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And going back to the pool of Bethesda, the, I think the most important thing that you're saying here is going back to the the original writings. There's no place that it talks mm-hmm. about an angel stirring any waters. And and from what I understand, the Hebrew word there, yeah. I mean, even though this is in the New Testament, technically it's in Greek, different disciples, they still wrote in Hebrew. I mean, that was the language they wrote with. So, uh, Well, I will say this, right you are. If you uh, go to, um, there's a, a wonderful scholar who's a, a Christian who lives in Jerusalem named David Bivin. And uh, David Bivin has devoted his life to finding the Hebrew roots of the Gospels. Uh, and mm. so he does, he believes that if, whether they were set down in Greek or not, they have many, many Jewish roots in terms of the language. There's just things that you don't say. In yes, that, that just opens up so many conversations. In the Hebrew, right. if, you, if you wonder, writing that down, if somebody was trying to write that in Hebrew, they maybe said, what should I say for that? <laughs> Exactly. But to the Greeks, it was no big deal because they had many gods, many, many gods. Mm -hmm. So so what I'm saying there, what actually you are saying is that would have been very pagan to have that phrase associated with a place that Jesus would have gone to or that would have described what was going on there that because from what I understand, Mm -hmm. these pools filled by a spring. That's right. So when the spring filled them, they turned. They turned. Oh, and, I see. And, yeah, I and like that. I never thought they, of that. But, be, but because they automatically did that, they naturally did Absolutely. that because of the influx of the water, yeah. that in a pagan mind, mm-hmm. it was 
some spirit yeah, turning the water. Stirring the water, yes. And so, um, because I've heard people say, you know, if this is not in your Bible, if this verse is not in your Bible in John, then you need a different translation. And so I don't, you probably wouldn't have heard something like that, but I have in the circles. And so for me, I was just like, I need to, I need to dig into that a little more and find out more about that. And cause that's how my mind works. It's like, if somebody tells me I've got the wrong Bible, then I'm going to go, why? <laughs> and I'm going to search and I'm going to do, do, dig into that. But, but from what I understand is that it was kind of like a, a well-known thought that this is what was happening. And mm-hmm. so someone yes. could have well added said. it at a later time and said, like, kind of like how we yes. would write in the margins of our Bible when we take notes well said. that well they said. would have like, Oh, somebody wrote right. this. So we'll just add it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't think people, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, we kind of get protective of the Bible and, we believe that it's yes. God's word, but then we, we start getting to the point where we think, okay, um, that means that there are no, and I hate to say this word, but there are no mistakes, but, but we have to understand yes. that. And I think you and I even talked about that. It's, it's God's word because he spoke it into being It's his word. Yes. It's his responsibility. He gave it to us. It belongs to him. But man mm-hmm. has written it down and yes. and therefore, yes. um, according to our flesh, there have been mistakes because of the way things have been written down well and said. the way they have been remembered, maybe. Well said. If you ask 10 people what exactly. happened, they'll say 10 different things. And uh, it reminds me of the old joke, uh, the person who said, if you don't have this in your Bible, you have the wrong Bible. Remember the old joke? If the King James Bible was good enough for St. Paul, it's good enough for me. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and yeah. And I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm of the, I'm of the viewpoint that it doesn't matter what translation we read because it is ultimately God's word. Mm-hmm. It's what he said and it's what he wants us mm-hmm. to know. Well and he is bigger than any mistake or mm-hmm. any any kind of mistranslation or misinterpretation than the, what man can do. So That's if we're relying on the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit for God himself to give us the knowledge mm-hmm. and information and understanding, then that's who we rely on. Yes, beautiful. So so thank you. I, I think that that's just such a great point because we mm-hmm. need to know that there there have been pagan influences or mm-hmm. pagan influences have creeped in 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 certain ways not throughout but in in certain parts and we can understand why because most of the early christians were pagans yeah and they had a hard time giving up some of those beliefs which is what as i told you my radar goes goes down after acts uh in acts we see that very clearly that uh discussion between the the jewish christians and the pagan christians what should we keep and what should we discard Exactly. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the Via Della Rosa. And, and I, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. you kind of asked a question that because as we're walking down those streets, 
and following the trip, basically the path that Jesus would have taken to the cross. It's, it's a very busy area. And I think you even said people would Mm -hmm. say, oh, it's so loud. It's so loud here. Yes. People are disappointed. I said to see that it's so crowded. And just as another aside, I'll tell you something interesting uh, that my husband Mm -hmm. is a wounded warrior and we have a helper who lives with us from the Philippines and she's Catholic and she's very religious. And after our last discussion, I went out and I told about our discussion about the the crowded street. And I told that I I used to tell people it was just like this. And she said, no, it wasn't. It was on a hill far away. (laughs) And I said, yeah. I said, well, you know what, Leah? Her name is Leah. Uh, I said, it's, it wasn't, it was in the city. And I explained to her that that's where they did, they didn't do crucifixions in the city, but they did them right outside the gate, like the yes. robe <laughs> where they had that, or one of the others, they had mm-hmm. the same, I think Spartacus, the same, it was right on the road. So the people coming into the city uh, would mm-hmm. see and be afraid. That's a Hebrew expression. Anyway, so we talked about the fact that, um, as people are looking for the shadow of the cross with the two thieves far away, that was written by someone who was never in Jerusalem. Literally, both of those uh, right. both of those hymns were written by people who. Uh, and unfortunately, we get a lot of our theology by music, by hymns yeah. and songs, yeah. and yes. and we have to be careful about that. Not yeah. to get our theology from yeah. the old uh-huh. hymns. So, uh, so yes, so if we want to imagine what it was like when Jesus was carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem, we have to walk the streets of Jerusalem today. We have to see the, um, the merchants hawking their wares, uh, shouting each other down, uh, people arguing with each other, uh, the police with the soldiers in the street, stopping people, harassing them even. Uh, and all those things were going on, and there were crowds because it was Passover. I don't know if you, when you walk through the streets in Jerusalem, if it was crowded or not, but sometimes you can't even put a, a matchstick between the people, literally. And that's what it would have been like because it was a pilgrimage holiday. And I brought up with you, and I thank you for this uh, because I never thought of it before. The idea that if you were walking, if you were in the street of Jerusalem, the streets of Jerusalem at that time, uh, and you saw this man bearing a cross, what would you do? I don't know what I would do. For example, I don't know if I'm thinking about my family at home. And if I get arrested today, who's going to take care of my husband? I better not say anything. Or I'm going to put it all on the line, which is what Simon of Cyrene did, because he stepped up and he helped Jesus carry the cross and he could have been arrested. They didn't care what they did and who they did it to, the Romans. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I've, I've shared with people, that idea that I never before our discussion last week did I connect it to the righteous Gentiles, where they call them now the righteous among the nations who saved Jews in the Holocaust. This is something that's come up again recently uh, because of certain historical 
discussions that are happening, especially in Poland, uh, about who helped and who didn't. And the Christians know, the American Christians know Corey Ten Boom. And she has a tree planted for her at Yad Vashem, the, Holy, the Holocaust Memorial. Uh, and the, the, what, when the original Yad Vashem was built, now it's a much bigger complex than it was. If you visited in 2017, you saw a huge complex. But when we, in the beginning, we used to go when it was built in the 60s. When you got out of your car in the parking lot, and you began your visit. The first thing you saw was the Avenue of the Righteous Among the Nations with a tree planted for each righteous person that they were able to, to find. And I'll, t- I'll add something that I didn't tell you last week. The trees are carob trees. Carob. You know what a carob fruit is? No, actually, I don't know. C-A-R-O-B. Okay, okay. Um, look it up because it's going to be very meaningful to you because we think that when it, it's the locust tree. That okay, yes. Okay, it's the locust tree. Yes. So they're locust, uh, locust trees. Uh, and uh, people always ask me, why did they plant locust trees? And I didn't know the answer. One time I took a group of British gardeners to one of the beautiful, one of the few beautiful former gar- formal gardens we have in Israel on Mount uh, Carmel. And the gardener expert who was taking them around said, we made one mistake when we planted this garden is that we planted carob trees on the lawn. And when we water the lawn, the carob trees get too much water. The carobs, and they don't produce fruit. Carob trees only produce fruit under stressful circumstances Mm. so when so that's a symbolism of the righteous among the nations and each of those christians and there weren't only christians by the way right there were even a few anti-semites among them right (laughs) some of them said look we don't like jews any more than the next fellow but we knew this was wrong that was the difference between those who did and those who didn't. Right. And to get back to the point that we made last week when we talked, you were risking your own life. You were risking the lives of your families. And, uh, and we know this from the story of Corey Tenboom. You were hiding people for years, bringing them mm-hmm. food and making sure nobody knew about them. So it's something that we, that is still with us today. When I used to take people to Yad Vashem, I said, this is a very, this is a question we have to ask today. Wherever we live in the world, when I see injustice happening, will I stand stand by and do nothing, or will I stand up uh, and mm-hmm. maybe save a life? That's good because it is it's true. We all need to ask ourselves that question. You know, there are people who do things spontaneously. They see a need. They see a child fall into water. They run into the water to get them. I mean, they're not planning it. They're not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking about their own life. They just do it because they know this child will die if somebody doesn't help. Okay. And it's the same situation. Mm -hmm. We can either, if we're not going to be able to plan anything Mm -hmm. because we don't know the future, but if we have the, the heart that says, you know, injustice is wrong. And it doesn't matter who it's happening to. This is a fellow human being. We have red blood. (laughs) You know, we Mm -hmm. may have different skin. We may speak a different language. We may Mm -hmm. live in different countries, but this is still unjust. Mm -hmm. This should not be happening to another human being. 
And what can I do? Or what should I mm-hmm. do? And what will I do? You know, and yeah, there's a certain level That's of fear, right. because, because you're right, back in the Roman time, they didn't care. It was just as easy to stab you and kick you down than it was what they did to Jesus. It, it, they hadn't, they had, it was, they separated, you know, it was, and just like in the Holocaust, I mean, they were brainwashed into thinking that if you were a Jewish person, you were lower than every other human being. If you fast forward to the civil war, slaves were, I think it was, they were two fifth of a person, you know, and, and I mean, and it was, it was, it's a ridiculous thing that, you know, somebody who they look like you, except for their skin or their nationality or, or whatever. And and to think that someone is less mm-hmm. of a human mm-hmm. being when we all have our own, the same beginning, yeah. we all <laughs> have the same beginning. We were all created mm-hmm. by a loving God, but we were also all began in the womb with a sperm and an egg <laughs> that came from two human beings. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. so it's and it's good i mean it's a good question you asked because and i think I, I i know i shared with you that i thought about that myself i thought about that one day i don't even know how it came up in my mind to think about it or to ask about it but i i said you know lord what would i do if i saw yeah. jesus being mm-hmm. crucified being walked down that Delarosa, and being being mistreated mm-hmm. in the way that he was and and that's an understatement you know tortured and and spit on mm-hmm. and everything else would any human being deserve that but what would mm-hmm. i do because i don't know no, i don't know what i don't I think do. anybody does you can no, practice though I, <laughs> you know you can practice yeah. you can study studying the prophets the, the prophecies of social justice are helpful mm-hmm. in practicing and then you can also practice by little things. If you see someone being, uh, there's a word for it now, not trolled, that's online. But if somebody's being dissed, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's another mm-hmm. word for it that's used now. In social yeah. media, there's a lot of words uh, for that. But in real mm-hmm. life, and would you step up? Oh, I don't know. I'd say, mm-hmm. I'd be afraid to say something. I've said that before. I'd be afraid to say mm-hmm. something. I think he'd take out a gun and shoot me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've said I'd yeah. be afraid. So you have to practice not being afraid just to pick up. But this was great. And I appreciate you so much in taking this time because it's it's later in the evening for you. It's probably about eight o'clock. And eight so o'clock, that's fine. Yeah. And, so uh, we're seven yeah. hours difference. And so it's a little bit of a a bigger challenge for us to get on at the same time. As they say, uh, I I received more than I gave. Oh, thank you. I thank you so much for your your heart and your mind. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you, and I appreciate all that you've had to share today because I think that there's a lot we can learn, and so I appreciate that. So, thank you for having me. Okay. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. If you've enjoyed this podcast, 
Please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and recommend it to your friends and family. And don't forget to check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews. That's all for today. See you next time.